Welcome to The Markets, Dateline Chicago, Friday, May 17. Hello again, along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson for our weekly look at another interesting week in the marketplace, Wall Street, Board of Trade, Mercantile Exchange, and the oil market. And we'll talk to a trader a little bit later on in the agricultural community, and Max Armstrong will conduct that interview with uh, a commodities trader, so stay with us for that. But right now, as we do, we begin with the numbers. Dow Jones Industrial Average ended down 100 points, 25,762. The S&P 500 closed down 17 points at 2859. The Nasdaq closed down 82 points at 78.15. And for the week, the S&P fell three quarters of a percent. The Dow lost two thirds of a percent. The Nasdaq down one and a quarter percent for the week. And the Nasdaq, S&P 500, have consecutive weekly declines for the first time since 2018's fourth quarter. And the Dow Industrials fell for the fourth straight week. That's the longest streak of weekly declines in three years. So let's take a look at some of the happenings on Wall Street today. Of course, trade continued to dominate the picture and the ongoing disagreement between China and the United States. But the Wall Street trade ended lower, of course, because of the continuing trade tensions, pulling industrial and tech shares lower. The Dow, as we said, capped a fourth straight week of losses in its longest weekly losing streak in three years. While all three major U.S. indices struggled for direction for much of the season, in and out of positive territory several times for the day, they turned decisively negative following a report from CNBC that U.S.-China trade negotiations have stalled. But I don't understand why that would attract that much attention now, but we have known that since they gathered a week ago in Washington, the Chinese and U.S. trade negotiators in China um, turned its back on several agreements they had made with the U.S. in earlier talks. They suddenly reneged on those agreements that had taken months to hammer out, and so that really turned traders off because of the ongoing uncertainty. And uh, one trader said, not unusual for stocks to weaken at the end of a week. The possibility of something weird happening over the weekend leads people to take money off the table as the week comes to a close. China added fuel to the fire of the increasingly rancorous trade war with the U.S., striking a more aggressive tone. Elsewhere in the multi-front U.S. tariff war, President Trump confirmed he would delay imposing imported auto tariffs by as much as six months and agreed to lift metal tariffs on Canada and Mexico as we also have to continue our concern over the lack of congressional approval of the U.S.-Canada-Mexico trade agreement that was hammered out last year. 
Trade headlines overshadowed some upbeat economic data today. The University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Index, surprising number, up five and a third percent in May to its highest reading in 15 years. Farm equipment maker Deeren Company, the biggest percentage loser on the S&P 500, dropping seven and three quarters percent after cutting its full year forecast. Caterpillar, 3M, Textron, General Dynamics, and FedEx Corporation all helped to pull the industrial sector down 1.1%. And of the 11 major sectors in the S&P 500, all but utilities closed in the red, with industrials and energy seeing the largest percentage losses in the marketplace today. Active wear company Under Armour gained 7.8% following J.P. Morgan's upgrade of the stock to overweight. And Printerist slumped 13.5% after its first quarterly earnings report as a publicly traded company. That's the scrapbook company. Shares of Luckin Coffee jumped 20% as the Chinese challenger to Starbucks made its debut in the marketplace this week. And what about the price of oil? Well, there's concern in that part of the world as well because of the tension between Iran and the United States. So that's of concern to people in the oil market. Prices just slightly lower today to to demand fears amid the standoff in the China-U.S. trade talks, but both benchmarks, Brent and U.S. crude, ended the week higher on rising concerns over supply disruptions in Middle East shipments to U.S.-Iran political tensions. So Brent crude today down 41 cents a barrel. It settled at $72.21 a barrel for the week. And U.S. crude down just 11 cents to end the day and the week at $62.76 a barrel. That was a gain of about one and three quarters percent on the week. So now let's look ahead. See if we can figure out what might happen next week. Federal Open Market Committee is scheduled to issue minutes from its two-day policy meeting of April 30th and May 1st. That's due to come out on Wednesday. Big box retailer Target Corporation set to post on Wednesday its eighth consecutive increase in comparable store sales in its first quarter, benefiting from its investments in store remodeling and delivery services. Target has been beefing up its online business while enticing customers to visit its stores with a revamped loyalty scheme and pickup in-store options. The uh, Federal Reserve Regional Chairman, uh, nothing but traveling and on speaking engagement programs next week, so they'll be quite a bit of comment, I guess, on policy and where it might be going from the Federal Reserve through those regional governor's addresses. The National Association of Realtors is expected to show U.S. existing home sales 
rose to an annual rate of 5,300,000 in April after dropping to 5,210,000 in March. The U.S. Commerce Department on Thursday expected to report new home sales declined to an annual rate of 680,000 in April, after having risen to 692,000 units. And the department on Friday likely to show April durable goods declined 2% after a 2.6% rise in March. And the Labor Department, of course, will be reporting initial claims for state unemployment benefits, and at the moment they're thinking uh, maybe that number up by 3,000. Back to other corporate reports, home improvement chain Home Depot expected to report Tuesday a rise in its first quarter same-store sales as declining mortgage rates will spur home building in the U.S. However, a delayed spring season this year may also hurt sales of Home Depot's gardening products. Separately, a home improvement chain Lowe's company expected to report on Wednesday an increase in first quarter same-store sales as, again, declining mortgage rates spur home building in the United States. Department Next week is the week for department stores to be reporting. Department store operator J.C. Penney likely to post on Tuesday its third consecutive decline in same-store sales in its first quarter as the company battles decreasing store traffic and fierce online competition. Department store operator Kohl's Corporation expected to post a drop in first quarter same-store sales on Tuesday. Company is likely to be weighed down by weak margins because of excess spring inventory as the U.S. experienced a prolonged and miserable and wet and cold winter season. Coles has also reportedly expressed interest in buying U.S. home decor retail chain at Home Group. So an update or any details on that deal will certainly be of interest to investors. And then Nordstrom will be reporting next week, Tuesday. And the company, the department store operator, expected to show a small growth in first quarter sales, helped by higher discounts of goods following the cold winter in the United States. Apparel company, VF Corporation, expected to post an increase in fourth quarter sales and profit on Wednesday, powered by increasing demand for its Vans, Sneakers, and North Face apparel. Thursday, computer and electronics retailer Best Buy expected to post a gain in its first quarter sales from its subscription tech support services, and that's a key aspect of outgoing CEO Hubert Jolie's turnaround strategy that led the company out of years of failing same-store sales. J.P. Morgan Chase and Company investors are likely to vote on Tuesday on executive compensation and whether to begin having a report on gender pay equity at its annual shareholder meeting in Chicago. And Pacific Gas and Electric Corporation on Thursday, expected to seek Judge Dennis Montali of the U.S. Bankruptcy Court in San Francisco 
to approve its motion to establish a $105 million fund to help house victims of wildfires. PG&E says the fund would cover housing and other urgent needs for many who lost homes in wildfires in 2017 and 2018. So that's a look back and a look ahead. Going to be a busy week on Wall Street. And it'll be a busy week in the commodity world, too. And uh, stand by, because in a minute or so, Max Armstrong will uh, will sit down with our market expert for the week to talk about agricultural trade and pricing. That when we continue on the markets. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. In the studio this weekend, Tommy Grasafi, Advanced Trading, and uh, a lot of folks know you from work you've done in the past all over the country, as a matter of fact, Tommy. I think this is the first time we've had the opportunity to visit, and I thank you for coming into the studio. Thank you, Max. Well, first I want to do just a little bit of a look back at those numbers that came out a week ago from USDA. And the thing that strikes me every year is I look at the yield expectations, assumptions, I guess I would call it, that they plug into the May report. And I look at the track record, especially for a soybean yield estimate in May. Why do they bother? And and they haven't always done this. I remember when they started in the 90s, plugging in a yield number in the spring, and it's so early in the game, well before a crop is in the ground, well before the uh, planting ideas are firmly formed. Uh, Look at it as uh, when your kids were younger and you're you're going to go for a car ride and you got a map and you're like, this is where we're starting and this is where we're, we think we're finishing. Uh, you can never factor in the kids having to stop to go to the bathroom or someone being hungry or changing a diaper. And so the USDA gives us projections. They give us a guideline. They give us a little map. And you know what, Max, over the years, it's been pretty, in a weird way, they're kind of right. I know maybe people don't want to hear that. I'll tell you this, this year can be different. Just sitting outside your studio or where I live in Valparaiso, Indiana, or where I work, I uh, mostly work in the state of North Dakota, just got a phone call uh, this morning before we went on air that they got an inch of rain. The markets don't know that they're not even in the fields up there and that they're going to get rained out. The markets don't know that yet. So the USDA looks at the very big picture, and they assume the American farmers the best in the world, and this is how many bushels they should grow. This year might be different. Generally speaking, I've said through the years, we don't kill a crop with excessive rain. Of course, there was the exception in the early 90s. This year, we could make a substantial impact on the crop by having too much rain. Well, Max, I'm, I'm old enough to have a little gray hair and a little experience. When you talk about the early 90s, my first day at the Board of Trade was uh, 1990, June of 1990. My first day as a member of the Board of Trade was June 24th, 1993. Hmm. And if you look back, you remember what started to happen those last weeks of June and first weeks of July in 1993. So I'm well aware that what the market thinks and what Mother Nature can do, those two might be off a little right now, and it sure was that year, and that, that was a... Heck of an opportunity in a market rally. Now, with social media and other tools, I would say with everyone having an iPhone and taking pictures of flooded fields, uh, uh, wet years tend to produce big crops. But there's one caveat we're forgetting. You have to get it in the ground. 
The timing of the 93 wet weather was later in the season. And we had planted most of that crop, had we not at that time? It's a different kind of a situation in terms of the excessive rain. Different situation. Uh, where are we today? We're, we're May 15th, May 16th, uh, coming into the weekend here. Last few weeks of May, getting into graduation. This was a whole nother five, six weeks earlier. That Those corn plants were a foot to two feet tall. They could handle some water. A lot's changed since then. They, obviously, the levee system uh, was uh, uh, failed or pushed to its max. Uh, and uh, a lot of tiles been added, and so a lot of a lot of money's been made in ag, and a lot of technology's been put in the soil. But uh, too much of anything's not good in life. Yeah, a lot of field tiles. That's a good point. They've they've proven their value in recent years, a lot haven't of pumps, they? Lot of pumps, lot of lot of lot of moving water. Uh, farmers either have too much water or not enough, and they'll tell you about it. Come Monday, what will the weekly crop bulletin show in your mind in terms of the corn planting progress? I, I think it'll I think it'll show there has been some progress, but. What's it won't happen? be fifty percent, will it? I, I don't think so. And even if it does, it doesn't concern me. Uh, if it's fifty percent and ten to fifteen percent of that needs to be replanted because it just got a five inch rain over the last forty eight hours, fifty uh, percent planted and, and we're going to start looking at the merged numbers, right? So we have half the crop that's not even planted in a week, and then of that, uh, I've had some friends. I went out to a couple fields and they showed me, you know, dig up the seed and then you have some seeds starting to rot under there. So. Uh, Going to have to be disciplined. That's all I could advise people: is don't lose your discipline. Don't don't think that the markets can't go up. You, we spent the last four or five years with such bad prices, and if there was ever a year where prices could go up, it would be because the American farmer had a poor crop. Conversely, a lot of people are cautioning growers about missing an opportunity, and 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 farmers seem to be concerned about that in many instances. They don't want to miss an opportunity. What's your advice in that regard? Well, I I like going out to the uh, 20 crop in hedging. I like the prices in corn looking forward. Uh, I feel that we've we've lost an incredible amount of opportunity in soybeans due, due to the trade war and also due to the American farmer producing so many. We really, as you know here in Illinois, we produced a great crop last year, just a record crop. And uh, so keep topside open. I, I'm someone who grew up at the Board of Trade, so I love futures and options. It sounds like a sales pitch, but uh, it's very simple to to buy some options and keep top side open. You you work so hard. Don't don't just settle and start to sell a price. And who are we to think the markets can't go up? And truly, last year there were producers who very successfully marketed through the use of options, options, futures, uh, all types of tools out there. And then you know what? They just produced a record crop. So if you if you combine the tools of the market, your ability to be the best farmer in the world, and the payment from the government. You and I both know a lot of folks had a good year. Uh, you know, not everyone made it, though, Max. I know people who didn't make it to farm in 2019. And if this doesn't straighten itself out, uh, both through price and bushels, I'm not as worried about the price of the markets, but we're in the bushel business. Uh, going all the way back to Dr. Earl Butts, we're going to plant fence posts to fence posts. The only thing different between now and then is we remove the fence posts. So we are in the bushel business, and if we have a producer who doesn't produce bushels, and the United States government pays them based on bushels, you're going to see a large financial uh, hurt for people who didn't produce bushels in 2019. Well, speaking of Earl Butts, since you invoked his name, Earl Lauer Butts, who was the Secretary of Agriculture for Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford, also took great pride in the fact that he got the government out of the grain business. He would talk about that often in his speeches. He said, I got rid of those grain bins. We sold those bins. We tore them down. We took Uncle Sam out of the grain business. And yet the other night I had a flashback when I saw that the president was tweeting about the the government uh, 
taking supplies of grain and uh, giving them to countries overseas. I, I think some farmers are saying, wait a minute, we've been down this path before. Right. So back in the old days, if they uh, they tried to manage uh, supply, if, if we had too much supply, they'd pay the farmer, not the planet. As they'd pay him, not the planet, and supplies would go down, uh, the market would do what it does naturally and goes back up. Now I feel the United States government's more in the business of very much to what the the groundwork Dr. Robots uh, laid down is produce as many bushels as you can. And if it doesn't go well, they don't ever say it, but in the back end, they'll take care of you. They made that obvious last year. Um, this is getting strange now this year because if they're, if they're going to pay you for bushels you produce and you didn't produce them, this could get really serious. I'm, I'm of that camp a little bit. I would be okay just in the short term if the government paid us not to plant some bushels. It would take care of a lot of things one way or the other. It would naturally make the market go up. It would take care of supply. But once things get better, once the world gets back on its feet with the 7 billion people who need to eat every day, 7 plus billion people, I would like to see the United States government get out of the markets. And Farmers want them out of the markets. Absolutely. I don't but, have but a But you're not talking client. about a set-aside, are you? A, a little bit. I, I actually think in the next few weeks where there acreage, is a chance. Where acreage would be idled by Uncle Sam. I think there's a chance, and, and this is a little out there, but I think there's a chance in the next few weeks you can actually see possibly like a waiver, no different than when you're on your airlines flying back and forth. They say, uh-oh, uh, who wants a voucher not to fly this airline? And I think there's a chance over the next few years, you know, it's just it's just a theory and some people I've talked to in Washington that they realize that if they pay you again a couple dollars for a bushel of soybeans, that that is not going to lessen the supply. It would actually motivate the American farmer to plant more soybeans than they have in years due to the uh, being behind in corn acres. And uh, who wouldn't be motivated to make a couple extra dollars in the soybean market? Tommy, doesn't that take political will to make that happen? And what kind of sentiment are you going to find in this Congress? Now, let's say USDA maybe wants to move that direction. But what about those characters on Capitol Hill? Well, there's there's a whole cast of uh, characters and crew, but uh, it just takes a couple of tweets and someone to write a check. And although these numbers that we hear out of Washington seem so large, if you look at the someone said to me, oh, Tommy, the government can't afford to spend 12 billion to give to the farmer. Max, we're, we're building football stadiums that cost two billion dollars. We have sporting events that cost a couple billion dollars. This is about national food security. And what else did Dr. Robut say? Dr. Robut said America's single greatest advantage is its ability to produce affordable, high-quality food. And that still, no one has yet to be able to compete with us. You know, you do make an excellent point. Twelve billion dollars. When that number came out, I thought. How paltry it is, how small it is, how insignificant it is in terms of the entire federal budget. Now we're talking about $15 billion, perhaps $20 billion. It's still, in terms of federal spending, chump change, isn't it, Tommy? Absolutely. Look at uh, the founder of Amazon, Jeff Bezos. He's planning on going to the moon. And Elon Musk, uh, who had all types of businesses, uh, Tesla and whatnot, he's trying to go to the moon. They're going to spend billions of dollars to do it. Um, it's it's a big number, but it's it's a big country. As you know, you've traveled, you and Orion have traveled everywhere. I don't think there's a farm town you didn't stop to visit in. America's a big place. And when you divide that number over all the farmers that are hurting, we're going to need that help. But to your point, I do not have one single client who is uh, who wants that money. They want free markets. And myself, someone who, who's been at the Board of Trade for over almost 30 years now, 
I don't want, I want free markets. Discover the price, let people use the tools available, let the markets go up, let them go down. I love free trade. The corn market opportunity in China, long term, as they build their ethanol industry. How bullish are you on that? I, I'm very bullish that over the next three to five years, we're going to have just an incredible market in agriculture. I'm scared as heck right now. Things that are scaring me is this current trade deal. I think we'll work through it. But this African swine fever has me up at night, and I don't own hogs. I'm just worried for my clients who produce corn. I mean, if something like this hits the states, it, it, it could be it could be a black swan event. Uh, but long term, I'm in this for the long run. You've been in this for the long run. You have to be bullish American agriculture. It doesn't pay to be bearish. I've never met a farmer who's really successful who was uh, always betting that something bad was going to happen. So I think as prices do stay low, it's also going to put other people out of business, other countries who won't be able to produce the high-quality grain we do. And you know what, Max? Part of the reason China probably has themselves in this problem is because the things they were feeding the animals and the quality of grain and how they do business over there. Nobody, nobody in the world does business the way we do here in America and produces the high-quality foods, fuels, and fiber like we do here in the States. Enjoyable to sit with you for a moment or two, sir. Thanks for spending the time with us. Thank you, Max. Tommy Grisafi with Advanced Trading. For more than 150 years, CME Group has been built with your confidence. Without it, we simply wouldn't be in business. Today, we continue to work on new and better ways to protect you and grow your confidence in the markets. After all, it's our vigilance that brings you the peace of mind you need today and in the future. CME Group. Advance with confidence. The United States soybean farmers aren't the only producers who lost soybean export share to China during the first four months of the year. Brazilian exports of soybeans to China. By far, their largest market fell 13% in the first four months of 2019 compared to a year ago. Soybean exports to China were a little over 20 million tons from January to the end of April. African swine fever continues to move around the world. Of course, it started in China, but now we're finding it in South Africa and several European countries and also in Vietnam. The first three provinces in Vietnam's southern region, including the country's biggest hog raising area, have been hit by African swine fever, and that's causing problems for those people who are producing hogs in Vietnam. Here at home, the U.S. Department of Agriculture to date has paid out $8.5 billion in direct payments to American farmers. That's part of the 2018 aid program designed to offset losses from trade tariffs by China and other trading partners. The Trump administration pledged up to $12 billion in aid in 2018, and now they are saying another $15 billion will be paid out in aid, and that would be the second package of aid for U.S. farmers hit by the trade war with China, expected to have pretty much a similar structure to last year's program. And we're still waiting for details on that one from the Department of Agriculture. And, of course, Secretary of Agriculture's Sonny Perdue spent a good part of this week in Japan and China. 
and, and Korea, Japan and South Korea, and did achieve a victory there for U.S. beef producers. Japan is going to change its policy on beef that they will accept from the United States for beef uh, imports. And uh, officials in the trading community said that change in the Japan policy could bring another $200 million in beef sales from the United States into Japan. History this week, well, a fairly young history, but this week, for the first time in 12 years, Australia will be importing wheat from Canada as the drought continues to hit wheat producers in the land down under. And so that came as a surprise, I think, because 12 years they have not had to import wheat into that wheat-producing country. And finally, toward the end of the week, uh, the Upper Mississippi River fully reopened to boost boat and barge traffic for the first time since November. They had been closed over the winter season, and the U.S. Coast Guard lifted its shipping ban in the Mississippi River St. Louis Harbor on Wednesday for the first time since May 2nd. That will help move a lot of cargo that didn't make it to Gulf ports or that didn't make it upstream to the Midwest. A quick look now at where we ended the week. At the Chicago Board of Trade today, the July wheat contract ended at four sixty-five a bushel, down four cents. July corn up three and three quarters, ending at three dollars eighty-three and a quarter cents a bushel, and July soybeans down nineteen cents for the day, ending at eight twenty-one and three quarters. Livestock: the July lean hog contract. Up 52 cents a hundredweight, ending at $93 even. June cattle up 77 cents, ending at $111.27. And May feeder cattle up just 20 cents. And uh, it looks like that's our time for the week. As always, we thank you for joining us. Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson on The Markets.